thank you so much for having me here today. It is truly a delight to be here. And I do want to start off by saying thank you to Donna for inviting me. Thank you for Diana for her hospitality and kindness to me. And also to Janet Waters, who's going to be hosting me for the next couple days. My mother is here with me, as Donna mentioned, but also my daughter, Catherine. So we have three generations here together. And uh, for me to be here today is for me to be coming home. My parents and my sister and I started attending Grace Community Church in 1978 when I was eight years old. So you all do the math real quick. <laughs> Got that out of the way? That's how old I am. 1970, you can just count it up from there. And, uh, but we already had several family members who were already attending here at Grace all the way back to the early 60s, actually, even before Pastor MacArthur was here. And one of those people is also here today, and that's my cousin, Judy Pauly, and she's right here at the front. Her parents were attending all the way back into the 60s, along with my grandfather and my grandmother. And just to give you a little bit of background, my grandfather was part of the very, very early, early, early tape ministry, even before MacArthur was here. And so they would um, make recordings of the sermons from the pastors in the 60s and take them to shut-ins, from what I understand. In addition, my grandmother also attended here, of course, and she loved the Lord, and she loved his people, and she loved to sing his praises. And I'll try to say this without crying. She actually passed away in the chapel in an evening service in May 1969, about a year before I was born. So we have a lot of connections with this church. I have so many memories stepping on campus as I uh, come here and I think of people and faces and names and events in my life. And I'm so thankful for the teaching that I received from a young age and the discipleship and the mentoring and the service of so many people that I cannot even name that I know invested in my life in one way or another. And as I've moved on to other churches, I've been able to take that with me. And I can tell you as an adult, I am so grateful for that. Um, I will tell you one special memory is that I did meet my husband in person for the first time in the gym on a Sunday morning. I think it was January uh, 1992. So I need to mention that at least. So when Donna asked me to be here with you today, she explained that the Women Walking Wisely group will be going through When Words Matter Most next school year. And uh, she asked that I would introduce this topic of speaking truth with grace. And she also asked that I would share a little, little bit about how the book came to be. And so several years ago, I was actually teaching a Fundamentals of the Faith class. And I know here at Grace, this is where Fundamentals of the Faith originated. But I was teaching that for several semesters to different women at our church. And each semester, I'd, I would ask the ladies, please introduce yourself and tell us why you've decided to attend the class. And so I often heard women say, I'm here to learn the scriptures better so I can share them with someone in my life who is struggling spiritually. So maybe it was a friend or a neighbor or a, a spouse or a child, a coworker. And I heard that enough that I tucked it away in the back of my mind. Actually, I just realized I need to do this, don't I? There we go. Can't forget that. And so uh, I heard that enough that I kept note of that in my mind. And during that time, there was a woman who stopped me in the hall. 
and she said to me, Cheryl, my daughter-in-law has recently had a miscarriage, and she is now terrified of having another child or becoming pregnant because she's afraid that she will lose that child as well. And my friend asked me, where can I go in the scriptures to encourage her and to give her hope in this time? And so we stopped and opened up the Bible together, talked about a couple passages, prayed, and she went on her way. And as she walked away, I thought to myself, you know, there's an example of another woman who's in a well-taught church, who loves the Lord, who loves his word, who loves the people around her, and she wants to be able to speak truth into their lives, but when push comes to shove, she doesn't know what to say or how to say it. And so I started putting some thoughts down on paper. If I were to help the women in my church to do this, what would I want to teach them? And pretty soon I realized there's enough here to make a book or write a book. But I wanted to do it with someone, and that someone was Caroline Neuheiser. Caroline Neuheiser and I met in 1995 in Escondido, California, when my husband and I moved down there for him to attend Westminster Theological Seminary. And Jim Neuheiser was the pastor of the church we went to, and that name of that church is Grace Bible Church. And Caroline was and is his wife. And during those six years that we stayed at that church, I never was particularly close to Caroline, but I watched her and I admired her. I saw how she raised her sons and loved her husband. I admired how open she was with hospitality. I really was impressed by how kindly and gently she came along women in the church and she loved them and she spoke to them. And we moved on and later we realized that, um, I, re I learned that she actually became certified in biblical counseling. She went on to get a degree in biblical counseling as well. And so I got hold of her and I said, Caroline, would you be willing to do this with me? And she thought I was crazy, but she agreed. And I knew that she would bring a wealth of wisdom, years of experience, but also a very compassionate heart to the project, which I believe she did. And so the purpose of the book can be summarized in one sentence, to encourage and to equip Christian women to speak truth with grace into the lives of those they love according to their need. Now, to introduce that larger topic to you, today I'm going to be speaking about something in particular, and that is the call to speak. And I'm going to begin by telling you a story of when truth was not spoken very well into my life. I was 34 weeks pregnant with twins. Catherine is one of those. She's now 17 years old. And my husband and I and my mother, we went to a doctor's appointment for them to do an ultrasound on me and to check the babies. And I thought everything was great. And the technician, when she was done, she left the room. A few minutes later, she came back in, and she said, don't eat anything. And I thought to myself, I'm lying on this table here. I don't have any snacks in my pockets. <laughs> but I knew what she, what she was indicating. They wanted to take those baby and babies, and they wanted to take them that day. So to make a long story short, even though I had felt so healthy, and I thought the babies were healthy, it was decided that they had to take the children and, and have a cesarean, have an emergency cesarean. And so they rolled me into the operating room, and they uh, 
brought my husband in, you know, put all the garb on him that he needed, and they brought him in, and I'm lying there, and he's next to me. And it was like we were in the twilight zone. We were not ready for this. No cribs, no diapers, no camera. Um, this was not really happening. And in the chaos in my mind and the chaos around me, I turned to my husband and I said, Philip, tell me something about Jesus. And that man had nothing. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? Okay, now to give you a little bit of context for that, my husband was a doctoral student in seminary. <laughs> he knew the Bible forward, backward, up, down, old, and new in multiple languages, right? In addition to that, he was also one of the pastors or one of the elders at our church. His job was to help people from the scriptures. But I saw a look on Philip's face that I'd never seen before, and I, will, I can honestly tell you I've never seen it since. He was at a complete loss for words. Have you ever been at a loss for words? You're all nodding. I've been at a loss for words at all, also. Have you ever wondered what to say to a loved one who is going through a hard time? Have you been aware of her spiritual need, but you haven't known how to address it? Have you wanted to say something biblical and helpful, but you haven't known exactly what to say? Maybe you even find yourself like my friend who stopped me in the hall. There's someone you know and you love and you care about her even now, but you may be uncertain about what to say or how to say it to her. I will tell you, there are certainly times for us to be quiet, right? There are times for us to listen, to cry, to hug, to pray, to serve. But I will tell you, there are certainly also times when we must speak, when we must give biblical encouragement, hope, comfort, and correction. When the people we care about are struggling spiritually, they need someone who will love them enough to have conversations with them that are rooted and saturated in biblical truth. And why is that? The answer is found in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8. As I read this, notice what God's word does, what it accomplishes. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. When we and when those we love are burdened with worry, weariness, sin, or sorrow, we have a choice to either build our lives on the rock of God's word or on the sinking sand of human wisdom. The rock or the sand. And the choice between those two has very real outcomes, very, very real consequences. If we build our lives on God's word, we will receive what Psalm 19 promises. God revives us. He mends us. He restores us. He gives us wisdom. He brings joy. He gives us understanding for life. And, but if we build our lives on human wisdom, we will have spiritual immaturity, spiritual instability, and even spiritual danger. And so before we go any further, I want you to think of a person in your life right now who is struggling spiritually. 
Who is she? What is she going through? What's her spiritual struggle? Is she worried? Is she under the burden of anxiety and fear? Is she weary? Is she just exhausted under the trials that she is enduring? Is she someone who is wayward? Is she going down a road that you know she should not be going down? Is she battling against sin? Is she succumbing to sin? Or maybe your friend is weeping. She has experienced a significant loss in her life, and now she is drowning in sorrow. Who is she? My goal this morning is very simple. I want to encourage and help equip you to speak truth with grace into the lives of those you love according to their need. And today, we are just going to be able to scratch the surface on that, and we're going to be considering two main things. Number one, the importance that God places on the the call to speak the truth in love. And the second thing is we're going to consider key occasions when God does call us to speak the truth in love. So throughout the New Testament, we find time and again the importance of Christians speaking biblical truth into one another's lives. We are instructed to use our words and our conversations to promote our spiritual mutual growth. Paul made this especially clear in Ephesians 4.15 when he said, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at this call within its context, but first I want to mention that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesian church during his first um, Roman imprisonment, probably between 60 to 62 AD, while he was uh, at the end of Acts. That's where we find him there. Previously, he had spent at least three years pastoring the Ephesian church during his third missionary journey, and he loved these people. He knew them. He knew their strengths. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their needs. And in the first half of the book of Ephesians, he outlines for them all of their blessings that they have in Christ. And in the second half of the book, he then is encouraging them how to live well together in light of those blessings. And that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read there, starting at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are in every way to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Christ makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In this passage of scripture, God calls us to speak the truth in love to one another. And this call has a context. And the context helps us to see the great importance God puts on you and me speaking truth to one another. So the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that God provides pastors. He gives us pastors and other gifted men 
for equipping and building up the church of God. In Matthew 16, 18, Christ said, I will build my church. And the primary way that Christ does that is through the proclamation of his word and the proclamation of his gospel. And so he has given the church gifted men, those who in our context are pastors and teachers, and they are those who shepherd the flock. They care for the spiritual welfare of a local congregation by teaching those believers within their care to know, to understand, and to apply God's word. And as you know, the role of the pastors and the teachers is not to do all the work of the ministry. That's true in a large church like this, and this, that is also true in a small church. It's impossible for one man or a few men to do all of that ministry. And so God's plan is that he has given them to the church to then equip us through the preaching and teaching of the word that we can then be ministering to one another, both by serving one another and speaking to one another. The pastors equip us to be the hands, the feet, and even the voice of Christ to one another. Our role then is to build up one another as we have been equipped. Building up involves developing another person's life through acts and words of love and encouragement. It's God's purpose for each of us to participate and contribute to the spiritual health of one another, both by serving and speaking. Peter makes this very clear in 1 Peter 4.11 when he wrote this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength which God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate goal of us speaking to one another, of us serving one another. It is so that, Christ, so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ as we serve and as we have been equipped by the leaders of the church. We also see that God gives us purposes for building up the body of Christ, purposes. And I like to think of these as three goals for Christian relationships, three goals for our relationships with one another. It says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, as we walk through these goals, I want you to think back to your friend that I asked you to think of a few moments ago. I want this to be very, very practical for you. I want you to think of that friend who is struggling spiritually. And I want you to consider how these goals that we will discuss can shape and impact how you relate to her. How can these goals change or affect your attitude towards her, your behavior towards her, and even the conversations that you have with her? How can you be building her up according to these goals? Goal number one is the unity of the faith. Our first goal for building up one another in the body of Christ is the unity of our common faith. Now, in this passage, faith does not mean one's own subjective personal experience or response towards God, such as what you would find in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Rather here, the word faith means the doctrines and the teachings of Scripture, 
This means our common body of biblical or Christian truth. An example of this is found in Acts 6-7, where it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, to Christian teaching, to Christian doctrine. So we are to help one another to be in agreement with the teachings and the doctrines of Scripture. We are to help one another to know, to understand, to believe, and apply Scripture to our lives. And as we do that, as we come into unity with the Scriptures, we will then grow in unity with one another. It's like when I was in high school, and I attended Los Angeles Baptist High School. Any LAB nights out there? I know there's a few, okay. I believe that it's a heritage Christian or something like that now. Well, I was a cheerleader, but in ninth grade, I was on the drill team. And we had had to learn our routines together, and we had to be unified so we didn't look like a herd of cats out there on the football field. But in order to be unified, we had to have a common reference point. Maybe it would be the team captain at the front of the line, and we had to see where she was standing so that we could line up with her no matter where we were on the field. Or maybe there was a yard line that we had to be um, right in line with so that we were organized. We all had to have a reference point, and when we performed with that reference point in mind, then as a group we were unified. You know where I'm going with this. The same thing is true in our Christian walk. As each of us become unified with Scripture, our common reference point, then we too will be able to walk in unity with one another. The truth of Scripture must be prioritized in our relationships as we learn, discuss, and apply God's truth together. We are to encourage one another to hold fast to sound doctrine in every circumstance and in every season of life. And so the first goal of our Christian relationships is the unity of the faith. And I have a few questions for you. First of all, are you pursuing your own knowledge and understanding of the scriptures? How can you help your struggling friend to know, understand, and apply God's word in her life, in her situation? Are you encouraging her to hold fast to sound biblical doctrine no matter what happens? The second goal is the knowledge of the Son of God. The second goal of building up the body of Christ is for us to grow in experientially knowing Jesus in a relationship of love, reverence, trust, and obedience. Growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, as you know, is much more than just knowing facts about Jesus and his life. Rather, to know Christ begins with believing in him and receiving him as the singular object of your faith and of your worship. I love John 1.12, which says this, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. This word received is an active word. It means to take for oneself, not to reject, not to dismiss, but to receive a person to receive Jesus Christ as your own Lord and your own Savior by faith. So who is this person, Jesus, whom we must receive? Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. He died a death for sinners that he did not deserve. 
He rose again bodily from the grave, victorious over sin and death. He ascended to heaven where he reigns over all and will, and will one day return as the perfect judge and king. And if you will put your faith in him, if you will repent of your sins, repent from your, from your own self-righteousness and trust in Christ alone and his righteousness for you, then he will forgive your sins and he will give you eternal life. Christ will receive you. If you do not know Jesus in this way, then I urge you today to receive him for who he is. He is the perfect loving Savior, the risen Savior, and the Lord of all. Now, for those of us who do know Christ, we encourage one another to know him, to walk with him, to love him day by day. We remind one another of who Christ is and what he has done for us. We strengthen one another with the implications of his life, his death, his resurrection, his uh, ascension, and even his return. We encourage one another to love him, to walk with him day by day by faith. You may have a believing friend, and she is carrying guilt and shame. You need to remind her that Jesus paid it all that what he did on the cross was complete. Her forgiveness is complete in Christ. You may have a friend who's being mistreated at work. Remind her that Christ also suffered unjustly, but he never reviled in return. He understands her like no one else can, and he will give her the grace to endure. You may have a friend who is struggling with depression Encourage her to cling to Christ's promises that he will never, ever leave her nor forsake her. Encourage her to take the next step of obedience that very day. It might be that hour. might be the next minute. Clinging to him, knowing that he is by her side. And the goal of together pursuing the knowledge of the Son of God reminds me of a beautiful verse in 1 Peter 1.8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice. And so the second goal of Christian relationships is the knowledge of the Son of God. Are you growing in your personal knowledge of Christ? Are you maturing in your relationship with him and encouraging your struggling friend to do the same? Are your conversations helping her to know, trust, obey, and love Jesus? The third goal of our Christian relationships is Christ-like maturity. Paul describes this goal in Ephesians 4.13 as the pursuit of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We must understand that God places us in Christian relationships to help us grow to be more like his son. Christ is the ultimate measure of spiritual and moral perfection. And as we continually submit our lives to him and his word, he is growing us to make us more like himself so that we will be like Christ in our conduct and in our character. It's a lifelong process, as you know, that begins, begins from the moment we receive Christ to the moment we will see him face to face. And throughout our lives, the Spirit of God is using various means to make us more like Jesus. He's using his word. He's using prayer. He's using our suffering and our circumstances. He uses even the ministries of the church to encourage and to grow us. But he also brings us to Christ-like maturity 
through the people he brings into our lives. Those people he brings into our lives who help us to grow, who help us to forsake sin and to put on godliness. I want you to think for a moment of the woman in your life who has done this for you. How has she helped you to grow? I'm quite sure that she has set an example for you, but I'm equally sure that she used her words. In some way, she spoke truth in love with grace to you. God places us in relationships with other believers to help us become more like Jesus. As it says in Hebrews 10.24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And so the third goal is Christ-like maturity. Are you pursuing Christ-likeness in your own life? Are you purposely putting off sin and putting on obedience to the Lord? Are you concerned that your struggling friend becomes more like Jesus? How can you use your words to encourage her to be more like Christ in her choices and in her conduct and in her character, even in her current situation? And so we see that God gives us pastors, he gives us purposes, but we also then see that God gives us a plan for building up the body of Christ. And our part in that plan then is to speak the truth in love. It's on the heels of these three goals, the goals of unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and Christ-like maturity, that we find this well-known phrase, speaking the truth in love. And so let's read this again, starting in Ephesians 4, just to put it in context once again. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In these verses, Paul explains the result of building up one another in love is that we will no longer be spiritually children. What does it mean to be childish here? It means those who are spiritually untaught, ignorant, unskilled, foolish, immature. And of course, God does not want us to remain like that. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of him and his word and to also to grow in the skill of applying it to our lives. So I want you to notice how the spiritually immature and childish are described in this passage. They are tossed to and fro. They are carried about. They lack stability. They are passively driven by doubt. They are moving from opinion to opinion. They are not firmly settled in their faith. And the spiritually immature are tossed about and carried about by what? every wind of doctrine. That means a strong force of various and false teaching. They're tossed by human cunning. That is the deception of worldly wisdom. They're also tossed by craftiness and deceitful scheming. They are tricked by error and falsehood. I want you to also notice a couple contrasts. Instead of remaining as children, we are to speak truth and love to one another. We are to grow up in Christ. Instead of being passively tossed by false teaching and thinking, we are to purposely pursue one another with our words. And what is the truth that we are to pour into one another's lives? 
sound doctrine, not every wind of doctrine. We are to give one another truth of divine origin, not human cunning. We are to give words that are faithful and true, not words that are erroneous and deceitful. And so this is God's plan. As we speak biblical truth to one another, we then help one another grow up spiritually in Christ. And when each part is working properly, when each part is doing what we are to do, which is to speak truth and love, Christ is growing the church. And in all of that, God is being glorified. And so our part in this divine plan is very, very important. It is very significant. It is a very high calling that God has given us to speak the truth and love personally to one another. Now, I want to shift gears just a little bit, and I want us to consider what are some of the key occasions when we are to speak the truth and love. When are we to speak the truth and love? And you may be thinking, well, we're supposed to do that all the time. And that's true. Yes, we are. But it's interesting that in Scripture, we also see specific occasions when we are instructed to do that in special ways. So, for example, one example of that is Galatians 6, 1 through 2, which says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'd like to draw your attention to that last sentence, starting with bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This means we are to help one another carry, actually with endurance, the spiritual burdens and struggles that we encounter that are just too heavy for us to carry alone. And when we do that, we are obeying Christ's command to love one another as he has loved us. Now, if we are to bear one another's burdens well, then we need to understand our friend. We need to understand her burden. We must understand who she is and the burden she carries. We want to give help that is appropriate for her and her actual need. We want to match her specific spiritual burden with the appropriate truths of Scripture. I actually attended the master's college many years ago, and there was one day that I had tests and I had um, projects due, and I'd been up really late the night before. And I came to the end of the day. I was exhausted. I went up to Hotchkiss. If you're familiar with the dorms up there, that's where I was living. And I went to bed early that night. And um, it was raining, so it was perfect. You know, the rain was coming against the window, and I was snuggled down in my covers, sound asleep, exhausted. Later that night, boom, 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 there's a pounding on my door. And half asleep, I got out of bed. I just sort of made my way across the room, probably about to fall over, totally groggy. I opened up the door. And there was a girl standing there, a little bit younger than me, and she was soaked from head to toe. And she was talking a mile a minute. And she's just talking, 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 and she's practically screaming at me, and she's saying something. She's very agitated, and da 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 And I'm half asleep. And finally, I looked at her, and I just said, I don't know who you are. <laughs> With that, she turned around. She screamed again, actually. She turned, screamed, and she ran down the hall, and I assumed she went to the lobby. I don't know, because I just shut the door, 
went back to bed without giving the girl a second thought, fell fast asleep. The next morning I woke up, I went to chapel, well at first I, before chapel, I went to breakfast, then I went to a class, then I went across campus to chapel and I was sitting there waiting for chapel to start. I uh, thought to myself, I wonder where Kathy is sitting this morning. Kathy, my sister, my flesh and blood sister. And the moment I thought of her face and her name, I realized Kathy was at my door last night. <laughs> My actual sister had been at the door. And I looked around, and I'm like, where is she, where is she? Because I was panicked, you know, is she hurt? What's going on? And there she was, a few uh, rows over, sitting quietly, waiting for chapel to start. And it started, I didn't have a chance to get hold of her until afterwards, and of course, I beelined it right over to her. And I asked her what happened. And in the storm the night before, she, her car had gotten stuck in a ditch right beyond the campus as she was heading home that night. It had flooded. And this was before cell phones. Are those people in here know what that would be like? <laughs> she couldn't get hold of anyone except for me. She thought, well, I can, I can go to Cheryl. She'll help me. And so she ran a quarter to a third of a mile in the pouring rain to get help from me. I did not recognize her in my sleepiness. And I did not give her the help she needed. How often does that happen in our everyday relationships? We have a sister, we have a friend who needs help, but we do not recognize her, and therefore we do not give her help that is appropriate to her need. She isn't recognized or understood for who she is or what her burden is, and so she doesn't get the care that we wish we really would give her. We must seek to know and understand those we love and the burdens they carry so that our words will be meaningful and helpful and relevant. So how are we to do that? God's word gives us the answer, and that answer is found in 1 Thessalonians 5. In this passage, Paul is giving some final instructions to the Thessalonian believers at the end of the letter, and one of these instructions is found in verse 14. It says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient with them all. In this short verse, Paul gives us three very common struggles that we have as Christians, but he also gives us instructions on how to help one another. And so the first one is admonish the unruly. The term unruly was originally used in a military sense to refer to those who are breaking ranks, stepping out of line. Um, they were just out of step with the rest of the group in some way, and this type of soldier was considered to be insubordinate and in need of correction. Sometimes those we love may become unruly. They are making choices which are clearly contrary to the scriptures. Your friend's choices are sin issues and direct disobedience to God's word. Maybe she's lashing out at her children in anger regularly. Maybe she is gossiping about others. Maybe she's being dishonest in her work. She might be holding a grudge, unwilling to forgive and full of bitterness. When a believer is characteristically and persistently disobedient, we are to admonish her. To admonish means to put into mind. And I want to give you three things that you can help put into the mind of a friend who is unruly. First of all, 
Remind her that her choices are in opposition to the Lord. Notice I did not say to you that her choices are in opposition to you. It's not your preferences or your opinions that are the most important at that point, but rather, what does the word of God say? Take her to the scriptures. Help her to see that. Secondly, put into her mind that she must turn from her sin to Christ. We see time and time again in the scriptures that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the name by which we've been called. Bring that back to her attention. And lastly, you may need to remind her that she may experience consequences and discipline from the Lord for her choices, not because he hates her, but because he loves her so greatly. These admonishments or reproofs are never to be given with the spirit, with a critical spirit or a harsh spirit, but rather with compassion and genuine concern for her restoration. Assure her that you are there to walk by her side, to walk with her as her relationships with the Lord and with others are being restored. Secondly, we are to encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted are those who are discouraged. They are small-souled or little-spirited. They feel very small under the burdens that they carry, very small in front of the huge mountains of concern that lay before them. They may be overwhelmed, anxious, fearful. They may lack strength and courage to persevere. The faint-hearted person is not to be admonished or rebuked. Rather, she is to be encouraged. She needs someone who will not only listen to her sorrows, but will also build up her faith. The word translated here as encourage means to soothe and to console. And so with a gentle spirit, come alongside the faint-hearted with words of comfort and peace, and especially words of trusting in the Lord. Console your friend and reinforce her faith with reminders of God's faithful character and promises. Just on a practical note, what I would suggest is that you come alongside her with scriptures and biblical truth that God has used in your own life to encourage you. That will make your encouragement so genuine to her, just as it says in 2 Corinthians 1, that we're to comfort with one another with the comfort that we have received from God. The other thing I would suggest also is this. You may be thinking of her and thinking, you know, she already knows all this. I don't need to tell her these things again. She knows God is faithful. She knows God is true. She knows that God will provide. But which of us in here do not need constant reminders again? and again, and again when, as we walk through our trials. So don't be afraid to step into her life with truth that you think she may already know because she does need to hear it again, just like you and I do. Next, we are to help the weak. Help the weak. When we're weak and weary, we need the loving support of other believers. The Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle once wrote this about helping the weak. Our Lord has many weak children in his family, many dull pupils in his school, many raw soldiers in his army, many lame sheep in his flock. Yet he bears with them all, and he casts none away. Happy is that Christian who has learned to do likewise with his brethren. The weak person is feeble. 
She is without strength, either spiritually or morally. And I'd like to explain what that means. First of all, she may be weak spiritually, meaning that she's unsteady in her faith. She may be doubting the word of God, doubting his promises, doubting his character. So for example, she may have chronic pain and she questions whether or not God truly loves her. She may have sinned and she's repentant, but she's also now afraid that she's lost her salvation. Maybe she struggles to understand a difficult childhood and she wonders how can God possibly be sovereign and good? Or your friend may be morally weak. She is ignorant of the scriptures. She lacks conviction or strength or maturity to obey the Lord. For example, she may be a new believer and she just doesn't know God's will for her purity. Maybe she's a wife who just struggles to know how to be respectful to her husband. Maybe she's a friend. In order to escape the pressures of her life, she has fallen into substance abuse or self-harm, overeating, maybe even excessive shopping, and she is just weak there. The word translated in this verse as help can indicate holding firmly to someone. It can also indicate supporting someone from underneath. If your friend is weak, quickly, quickly reach out and hold on to her. I like to imagine in this scenario, like in the movies, you see someone who is holding on to the edge of a cliff and the camera pans onto their hands and they're losing that grip and onto their face and you see that terror as they're about to fall to their demise. But then all of a sudden another character comes along and reaches out and grabs hold of them so quickly and with all their might pulls them back up. That's what this is, but spiritually speaking. If your friend is weak and hanging on the edge of the cliff, reach out quickly. Do not delay. Be willing to help tether her to God's truth in her weakness. Make every effort to help her know and trust God. It's not that she knows and just trusts you. You want to always be pointing her back to the source of strength and the source of hope, which is Christ himself. Provide her with ongoing guidance and accountability as she gains solid footing in her walk with the Lord. I've learned that helping the weak requires very sacrificial, personal involvement. She'll need your patience, your friendship, your guidance, persistent application of biblical truth to her life as she becomes stronger in her faith and obedience to Christ. Earlier, I asked you to think of a Christian friend who is struggling spiritually. I want you to think of her again. Do you understand her need? Is she unruly? Then admonish her. If she is faint-hearted, then encourage her. If she is weak, then reach out and help her. And as Paul says at the end of the verse, be patient with them all. Be patient with her. Be long-suffering. Be willing to walk that long road that is hard to walk alone. And remember how patient the Lord has been with you. As he has been gracious with you, be gracious with her. God's grace teaches us to be gracious with one another. His grace in our salvation teaches us to approach her with humility because we know that we are all sinners in need of a savior. His grace in our sanctification and our spiritual growth teaches us to approach her with patience because we all know that we are on a road of growth. We are all in process. 
his grace in our future glory and the promises of the glory that is yet to come teaches us to approach her with hope, to encourage her to persevere until she sees Christ face to face when he will make all things new and he will make all things right. To heed the call to speak, identify your loved one's particular need and then address it according to scripture. Come alongside your friend with the truth of God's word, but also with the grace and the patience and the humility that he has also bestowed upon you. In 2008, my husband and I moved from Kentucky to Texas, and it was one of the most difficult times of my life. We moved several times within a few short years, and once again, I was far from friends and far from family. I had three-year-old twins, I love her, but she was one of them. <laughs> I was homeschooling a very stubborn eight-year-old boy, and I was exhausted. We had financial strains. We had concerns for extended family, and the changes of another cross-country move just seemed like too much, and I was overwhelmed. We had not yet settled into a local church, and I had not really shared with people at a distance what had been going on in my life, and I was very lonely. I found myself filled with discontent and despair, and I was crying day after day after day. And maybe some of you have been like that as well. One afternoon, I was still in my pajamas. I was standing in the middle of our bedroom. Tears were streaming down my face, and my husband came into the room, and he said, you know what your problem is? There's no one speaking truth into your life. I had become isolated from the people of God. And yet God was very gracious to me. Over the next several months, he brought three women into my life, um, Dee Dee, Leanna, and Rebecca. And I really, really wish you could meet them. I wish they were here with me. You would love them as I love them. None of them formally discipled me. None of them were older in the faith than me. Actually, they are all my peers. But what I loved about these women is how freely they spoke about the Lord. They just talked about him. He's right there with them. He talked about, they talked about him in their circumstances, in their life, and I could hear how they interacted with others and how they talked to me about the Lord. And God used each of these women in their unique way to make me spiritually strong again. Through Dee Dee, he restored my joy. Through Leanna, he helped me to grow in wisdom and compassion for other people. And he used Rebecca to teach me what it really looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. I share this with you because I want you to understand that 1 Thessalonians 5.14 and Ephesians 4.11-16 are not theoretical. They are extremely practical. When you wisely and graciously speak truth with grace into the lives of those you love, the Lord is working through you in that person's life to restore them. He is using your words and your care to grow and strengthen that child of his. And as you are doing that, and as he is doing that, then he is also building his church. I'd like to close this morning with a short passage from When Words Matter Most to challenge you and to encourage you as you reflect on God's call for you to speak the truth in love. You've been placed by God in a sphere of influence that is uniquely yours. No other believer has the exact same relationships that you do. 
the Lord has created a beautiful, intricate tapestry of relationships within his church, and each of you are part of that grand design. Like a master weaver, the Lord has woven you into a particular place at a particular time for particular reasons with particular people. It doesn't matter if your sphere of influence is large or small, seen or unseen. What matters is that you be faithful to God's calling to speak truth with grace right where you are with the people he has placed in your life. You and your words are significant and necessary for the building up of the body of Christ. Take a moment to think about your unique sphere of influence. Which names and faces come to mind? Let's pray. I'd like to give you a few moments to pray silently on your own, um, just as you think about some of the things that you have heard this morning. Uh, may I suggest that you pray for that loved one who's struggling spiritually, that God will work in her heart and her life, that God will give her the comfort or correction that she so desperately needs, the encouragement and the hope that she needs. I also suggest that you pray that the Lord will help you to love her well by speaking truth with grace into her life. And I'll give you a few moments to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious grace that you give to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us with a mercy and a kindness that we don't deserve. And yet you love us fully in your son. And we are so grateful, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you will help each of us to love one another well to bear one another's burdens, to build up one another by speaking your truth with grace. Thank you for saving us into your family, and thank you for even the fellowship that we can share today here, the fellowship we have because we know Christ as our Savior and that we are sisters in the Lord. Lord, I pray for each of the women who have heard this this morning as they consider those they love who may be struggling, please help them to have the courage and the wisdom to step into those lives and to bring the hope of your gospel, to bring the hope of your truth and your wisdom. God, we desperately need you to lead us and to guide us and to teach us and to encourage us. And so I pray, Lord, that these women will be willing and eager and ready and prepared and just be willing to step out and to do that for those in their lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit will apply your word to our hearts and lives so that you will be glorified in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.